There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, friends. Pastor Mike with you today. Thank you for joining me on WCN TV. When you mention the book of Ecclesiastes to most Christians, the response that you get as a synopsis and overview of the book is normally something like, well, the author sure was depressed. He tried everything to find happiness. And at the end of the day, he thought life was a waste of time. How many of you have heard something similar to that assessment? I certainly have. But is it possible that this understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes falls well short of the author's intention? I believe it is not only possible, but it is also very likely that the preacher, as the author is sometimes referred to, gave much more of a positive message that cuts through the experiences we all have of pain and suffering to reorient our thinking to the goodness of God and the blessings of his gifts that he intends for us to enjoy. In this reorientation of our thinking, we will find hope in the midst of a world of injustice and despair. I'm joined today by Dr. Russell Meek, author of Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. Let's see if I can get it on the screen. There we have it, right there. Dr. Meek studied Old Testament at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he received an MA in Biblical Languages and a PhD in Old Testament. He's taught at various colleges and seminaries since 2011. Russ is convinced that the stories and poems of the Old Testament still speak to the brokenness of humans today, beckoning us into the arms of the God who made us and loves us, even though we too are riddled with sin, hurt, and longing to be loved. And to that, I give a hearty, hearty amen. Welcome to WCN-TV, Dr. Meek. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. We're honored you would join us. I really enjoyed your book, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. And as we were chatting a little bit before we went on the air, 
um, I have to admit that this is the first work on this book that introduced me to the idea, first of all, of Abel as a picture for the injustices of life. And we'll get to that in, during our conversation today, but also to the theme that Ecclesiastes is, is actually a book that points us to, that reminds us of the goodness of God, his sovereignty over all of life, and, and the fact that we are meant to enjoy the blessings that he gives to us. So kudos to you, Dr. Meek, for taking that approach. It was, thank you, Jonathan. It was certainly, certainly a very refreshing me, uh, read for me personally. Um, but as we begin our conversation today, I'm, I'm wondering, I think it would be helpful uh, to allow you some time to tell your own story. Um, and you share some of that. And I, and I, I think that really makes um, your exposition and the, and the points that you're making in your book, Ecclesiastes, um, even more powerful. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, had, you had a childhood that um, unfortunately was, was uh, full of despair, heartbreak, and that led to, to a number of things. So I, I just wonder, as we begin, if, if you would share some of that as, as the Lord leads to, to set some context and background. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have happy to do that. So, um, I, I, um, uh, started studying the book of Ecclesiastes when I was in, um, seminary, like my last year of seminary and what got me there, uh, to kind of studying Ecclesiastes because I saw it, like you described at the beginning of the segment, you know, as, as, despairing and um kind of throwing your hands up at the hopelessness of the world and so um so that's why i started studying the book because that's where i found myself you know and it kind of it all uh I, often these stories of childhood trauma start with um with with our dads you know doing terrible things uh, and and my my story is no not really that that different you know so um <clears throat> kind of some major things happened uh, when i was young to to like i tell i i often tell people things that just like scramble a kid's brain mm -hmm. um yeah. my, my parents got divorced when i was six years old um and and like later on in life i would learn like a lot of really horrifying things about my dad that would kind of each time like reveal another like layer of despair and then also kind of take away what little good i'd kind of grasp onto from that relationship um my dad was an alcoholic a serial adulterer just a very just not good came out much later that he's also a, a pedophile um and from that point um, on when my when my dad left when I was six I, w I grew up um, like half a block from my grandmother's house in in like rural Arkansas you know or like it was it was more like a town like a couple of thousand people in the town um, and she like really took on raising me you know I'd spent majority of my time at her house before then but then once you know my parents split up my mom was a single parent with two kids at home and and worked you know because like what else was she gonna do and so um i spent majority of my time with my grandmother and um she passed away when i was 12. she had cancer 
um, the second time she had cancer and it just, uh, it just got her that second time, you know, and that, that marked a real like watershed moment of my life, I guess, when it was like, I, I felt like my whole world had been just ripped out from underneath me, you know, so my dad's gone. Um, my grandmother that I'd really relied, who'd stepped into that role of, you know, parents, really, um, she was gone. Um, and then uh, at that point, um, someone close to me intro introduced me to drugs and alcohol. And uh, I started started using drugs and alcohol then. I mean, as a little kid, you know, I look at 12 year olds now and I'm just like, my gosh, like, that's insane, you know? Um, and that pattern, you know, would continue off and on like for, you know, more than, gosh, I mean, 10, 15 more years, you know, of just cycling through this um, pattern of drug abuse and alcohol abuse to really uh, cope with anything, you know. Um, and so in, in the midst of all of this happening, um, my my mom uh, got married to a guy who was a deacon at a church and just very beloved by the community. And, you know, one of those guys that's just like, people love him. He like led people to regularly and just kind of this larger than life figure. And at the same time, he was just incredibly abusive uh, to me and, and my, my mom. And, and so then I had to kind of learn to process like, okay, this, my grandmother's gone, this kind this new kind of father figure in my life, like Christian, but is, is, does not act that way, at least in the home. Um, and then, so like that was a real barrier to me coming to faith in Christ. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in, uh, just before I went to, uh, just before I went to college, I came to know Jesus, like uh, personally, you know, like got saved in like the language that that I'm using, you know, as a Baptist and uh, trying to process like this picture of a loving God with like the example of like an abusive stepdad, an alcoholic father, and, you know, my grandmother passing away. It was really, really difficult, you know, and and so all of that kind of just rested unresolved in my life as i kind of cycled through patterns of drug and alcohol abuse i never really addressing all of these other issues and that is like that kind of very long story shortly told is what led me eventually to the book of ecclesiastes um because i thought like now here is someone that i can relate to because i also think that life is meaningless you know Mm -hmm. um but little did i know uh the lord was going to work really powerfully in the book of ecclesiastes uh, and showing me um showing me his love and his care and and that he actually life is not actually meaningless you know yeah so. yeah. yeah and all of those experiences uh, russ as i'm listening to you uh recount that i'm i'm uh very aware that those experiences would would naturally then impact and influence and shape the way that you think about god um and 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 also then how you um 
process your own pain in, mm -hmm. in trying to reconcile those things um, together. And so it's very easy to understand uh, the point that you just made that the book of Ecclesiastes, at is, as it is normally uh, exposited, would be very attractive to somebody that's that's just overwhelmed by the experiences of life and the in in, in the pain and 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 the unfairness of it all. I, I can see how the traditional rendering of Ecclesiastes would be because finally this makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It makes sense and it answers questions. But what you found out was um, that's not really the message of Ecclesiastes. It appears to be on the surface. Right. But as you begin to look a little bit deeper, you find out um, that's not really the message, even though people see it that way. And um, that's why for me, when I read the book, Russ, it was very refreshing because I thought there's there's the God, there's the true nature of the father. Right. Right. There. It's there in plain sight, but you have to see it with with spiritual eyes. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that that I learned, because again, uh, friends, and I, I'm talking with with. Uh, there we go. Am, am I on the screen there? There we go. I, I'm talking with Dr. Russell Meek, um, his book, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. And uh, by the way, you can go to uh, russmeek.com, russmeek.com. Com. There you go. A uh, lot of good information out there. Um, videos, you can get his books there. Um, but this particular one um, was, was very, very good. And uh, I appreciated it because it introduced the, the idea and then supported the idea. And again, um, this was this was a, a revelation for me, Russ, because I had, I had never, I still haven't, uh, studied and taught through Ecclesiastes. Um, but when I do, I've got a whole new perspective on it. Um, awesome. and, and what I'm getting around to is this. Here's, here's the point in that. Um, there is a visible connection between the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Genesis. How many of you out there that have joined us ever heard that before? So I'll let you expound on that, Russ, and take as long as you need. Sure. So the in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is kind of the, the foundational groundwork for the way I think we should understand Ecclesiastes. So um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there are all of these um, allusions or references back to uh, the book of Genesis. And so... The way I like to explain this in my book, I talk about um, hip hop culture and like at, during those formative years in my life, really latching on to um, these hip hop artists who were talking about stuff that like a 12 year old white kid from Arkansas, like has no real idea what they're talking about other than I could I could understand the anger. Right. And like that is how I felt was very angry. And so listening to people that like you guys probably have no idea who like in NWA and Eazy-E and Ice Cube, all of these guys came across to me as expressing a lot of anger. 
um, as I got older, I could kind of understand more and more of that as I read and learned and um, kind of grasped the cultural context that these guys were um, talking about. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author is very sophisticated in a similar way in that he is drawing on a rich, like, literary and religious tradition from that his audience would have understood, like, immediately, right off the bat, right? And so it's like, um, if you, I'm I'm almost 40, and so I don't know how, how old the audience is here, but if you're around my age, um, maybe older, if you've ever seen like any sort of a in a movie or a cartoon, two people with a piece of spaghetti between their mouths, like you immediately are thinking of Lady and the Tramp. Okay, that is like it's called the spaghetti kiss. Like you can, um, you, it it brings to mind this old Disney movie where these two dogs are sharing a plate of spaghetti and then they kiss and love happens, right? Yeah. You don't have you don't have to explain all of that typically. You just like have some illusion or reference to the spaghetti kiss and people know what you're talking about. We see it in like all sorts of other ways as well. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, throughout the book, he will use his words and phrases that if you know Genesis, like if you know Genesis like in your heart, the way that his audience would have then you know your mind immediately goes to the book of Genesis, right? So when he's talking about um, building this garden in, in Ecclesiastes 2, he uses words that are repeated word for word from the book of Genesis, from the creation story, okay? So he's talking about uh, building a garden and irrigating the garden um, and uses the same words that God uses to build the Garden of Eden and to irrigate the Garden of Eden, right, with the with the rivers. Um, and he talks about uh, trees growing up and producing their producing fruit, just like in Genesis. Um, he talks about uh, Ecclesiastes talks about humans being created from the dust, right, just like Genesis talks about it. He also talks about humans returning to the dust, just like we read in Genesis 3, 19. Um, and these kind of, this accumulation of allusions or references to Genesis make us, as readers, it points us back to a certain context, right, of the context of the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And so as he's talking about these various key themes in Ecclesiastes as the author is talking about these and as readers as we're thinking okay he's talking about the book of Genesis here then if we take that framework and think about this word that's usually translated vanity or meaningless it makes a whole lot more sense because it's actually the word able it's the word hevel in Hebrew which is the same exact same word as able in Ecclesiastes and there in is Abel in Genesis 4, sorry. And that Cain and Abel story <clears throat> is the very first example or test case of the world turned upside down. Okay, so you have humans created in the Garden of Eden, everything is fine and good, and then the um and then of course the the fall happens, you know, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then they're expelled from the Garden of Eden. Uh, and then we're introduced to Cain and Abel, right? And so this, and that word 
Cayenne, Cayenne also is um, repeated in Ecclesiastes 2, where it talks about this, this gain that we're looking for. Um, so Cain and the Cain and Abel story, like um, you guys are familiar with this. Uh, so my son, my middle son is named, um, actually my youngest son. I have three sons. Um, one son is adopted. Okay, so the youngest son and my adopted son are four months apart. It's, it's, it always gets confusing to me because my middle son, Elijah, came into our family after my youngest son. So I always call Abel my middle son, but he's actually the youngest son. Uh, so anyway, sorry. That's yeah. one day I hope to get it right, completely right. But <laughs> our youngest son is named Abel. Uh, one day, Abel and Elijah were out playing in the front yard. And um, all of a sudden, I look out the window. You know, I'm cooking dinner. I look out the window. And uh, Elijah has this big rock, you know, like from a, a flower bed. It's like holding it over his head kind of stumbling toward Abel because they're like two years old. And it's like really scary, like for any parent, you know, to see a kid, you know, carrying this big rock. It's especially scary if your son is named Abel, right? Um, because you know what happened to Cain and Abel. So anyway, yeah. Abel is his first example of a world turned upside down, right? Abel brings an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. He does what is right. He's righteous, right? Jesus talks about the, the uh, righteous blood of Abel. Um, and yet he suffers at the hands of Cain. Cain goes on to like live this long life. He gets a mark of protection from him, from the Lord. He has children. He founds a city. All of these markers that we learn later in Deuteronomy, all of these markers of blessing, children, uh, wealth, um, longevity, a long life. These are the things that the like that God says you will get if you're righteous. And yet Cain gets all of these things in Genesis 4, and Abel gets all of the fruits of wickedness in Genesis 4, right? So we have this reversal where yes. Cain gets the, the benefits or the blessings of the righteous, and Abel gets the consequences of the wicked. And so what this matters for Ecclesiastes is when the author uses this word hevel or Abel, he's not saying life is meaningless. He's not saying life is vain or vanity he's saying that life is like abel it's turned upside down right there is a a broken relationship between actions and consequences as a result of the fall and so ecclesiastes is struggling with this question of if like you know why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people like why are things turned upside down just like they were in the cain and abel narrative yes yes Amen. Amen. And folks, if you're a visual person, let me see if I can get this so that you can see it. There, there are numerous charts in this book that um, illustrate what Dr. Meek is saying, the language that is used in both Genesis and in Ecclesiastes is no accident. The teacher, the preacher, the the author of Ecclesiastes wrote in a way that that his readers would have understood clearly what mm -hmm. he was saying. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that, I, that I've stressed throughout uh, the years of the ministry that the Lord has blessed me with is that, friends, we cannot read the scriptures through modern Western 
eyes and okay. think that we're going to understand what's being stated. We have to understand the context and the audience, and that is very valuable in the Old Testament, and that's proved by, by this book. Um, so one of the things that we're dealing with today, Russ, is we've got flavors of Christians who believe that believers should only receive good, should only receive blessings, should never receive um, anything, be it ill health or poor finances or poor relationships. Um, and, and if they do, it's because there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong <laughs> with, with, with them. And one of the things that, that the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, however you want to refer to him, uh, and, and you point this out, is, is that man's sin is responsible for these things, death and justice and life. But so many people today, Russ, tend to blame God for their circumstances, for their misfortunes. Mm -hmm. um, I know you run into that all the time as a professor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's this kind of weird, like uh, the on the one hand you have this like you you mentioned the idea of like the prosperity gospel that like if you're a christian like you can kind of like uh enter in like if i, I don't know if you guys play video games or not but like in when i was growing up i played lots of video games and uh there was like a cheat code to you know this one game contra that gave you like ultimate lives right it's like the only way to beat the game is with this cheat code and and there's a a that prosperity teaching is 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 similar to that cheat code right that like we're in this game of life and if we enter in the right combination of words and numbers then like god will just like you know keep pouring out all the blessings and stuff like so like that like ecclesiastes confronts that directly and says like that yeah that is absolutely false and then on the other side of the thing of the of the equation or the other the other end of the spectrum is this idea that like god god uh kind of is this horrible monster up there who's just just hoping to pour out judgment and punishment you know and any any bad thing he is doing to us and yet like that's not true either you know because like the whole like ultimately like every bad and evil thing you can trace it back to adam and eve eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you know and so there are definitely like some situations in the old i mean the old testament is like full of them where god in in keeping his covenant faithfulness like the other side of the blessing in in being faithful to his covenant he punishes his people like that's that's clear mm -hmm. And yet that also is ultimately a result of sin, right? It can be traced um, back to that. And yet sometimes bad things just happen. Like, you know, my my dad leaving, he didn't leave because of me. Um, that wasn't my fault. And yet I did like suffer because of it. And, and, and God didn't do that to me. Um, and I didn't do that to myself. And, and yet there there was this kind of third agent out there who caused suffering mm -hmm. and it all goes back again to like human sin i think 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's there's actually a, a term for that. You call it in your book, retribution theology. Mm -hmm. um, and um, th that is just it's it's well, it's not biblical and it's not consistent with the biblical narrative. Um, a couple of examples come to mind, uh, friends, for those of you who have joined us today. Um, when Jesus healed the blind man and, and the religious leaders brought him before the council and, and questioned him and ended up bringing his parents there and questioned them. And, you know, so the question was asked who sent him or the parents that the, mm. the child was born blind. And, and, um, do you remember what Jesus said in response to that friends? He said, neither. <laughs> mm -hmm. neither and this is this is a uh, a shift in thinking for a lot of people because jesus's answer was so that the glory of god might be manifested now mm -hmm. why do we have such a hard time processing that idea russ man i i've asked myself that same thing a hundred times because yeah. i've I'm, i marvel over that story in john 9 because you the disciples like they they would have they would surely know the story of job right they would surely know ecclesiastes and both of those books confront that very issue and both of them say like you know what like we sometimes like it's sometimes suffering isn't the direct result of personal sin sometimes it is a lot of times it's not you know um but i, I think my suspicion and I'm not like, uh, I don't have any, you know, scientific evidence to prove this. I think that we like want to be in control, right? So if I can say this evil thing has happened to me and, and I caused it, you know, if I, if, if, if bad things, if suffering is a direct result of all sin, then I can again, punch in that cheat code and generate blessings right so if i can if i can uh put myself in the place of god you know I, th I think that is what is at the root of that we want to instead of submitting to like god's mystery and sovereignty and wonder we want to to figure out the cause and effect and, and god's answer to job right was was hey uh Job, where were you when I put, you know, the spots on the cheetah and, and like, have you ever, can, can you catch a Leviathan, you know? And, and the point he was making was that like, God is sovereign and powerful and mysterious and completely wise and trustworthy. And those are like all things that, uh, that humans really struggle with to, to believe about God and to like submit ourselves to God in that way because we're all like Adam and Eve wanting to eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know, and make ourselves like God. Yes. That's, yeah. That's, you know, yeah. Amen. And, and then the, the current climate in which we live in, in America, where, where God, his principles, uh, the Bible has been, been jettisoned, been purposely uh, removed, uh, however you want to describe it. People are completely disconnected from the the biblical narrative of creation and and um, and redemption and God's sovereignty. All of these things you've been talking about 
rest. There is no, no foundation or background from which to draw forth any of these truths. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's easy to understand that um, most people think, well, I didn't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Well, the biblical narrative answers that question very, very clearly throughout, throughout the scriptures. So there's a tension in, in fact, in the scriptures. Um, and this is another area that, uh, well, you described it when you were talking about uh, Cain and Abel. Um, there's, a, there's a tension of sorts between obedience and God's grace. Um, and unfortunately, unless uh, pastors and teachers, professors, ministry leaders, unless they are really uh, diving into the narrative and, and, and really spending time to, to unpack these things, their, their hearers, their students, the congregations, they're not going to get the full picture. And that's unfortunate for us because mm -hmm. it, it's, throughout, it's throughout all of the texts of blessings follow obedience. That's pretty easy. That's a pretty easy one to start with. And we mm -hmm. see that throughout. But there's a, there's a tension of sorts um, when we're talking about God's grace and, and being obedient, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, that's the big struggle, right? Because we, there is blessing and obedience, like clearly in scripture, like you just said. And yet we think about um, like John the Baptist was faithful in, in telling Herod, you know, like, Hey, you shouldn't be, you, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And um, John the Baptist gets his head served up on a platter. Mm -hmm. Um Jesus is obviously like the example of unjust suffering. He like no one has been more faithful than Jesus Christ. And he was like nailed to a tree. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that narrative, like of Christ's ultimate faithfulness and ultimate obedience, even to the point of a death on the cross, like that then like propels us forward to like thinking about, like obedience and faithfulness, like blessing does come from that. But Jesus forces us to look past this life and to say like, okay, the the blessing, it may come today, right? Like my, my children are a blessing from the Lord, like food and drink, like Ecclesiastes tells us are blessings from the Lord. Work is a blessing from the Lord. Um, and yet, like though we get, like God in his grace does give us these temporal blessings. Uh, but the ultimate blessing is, is eternal, you know? And so we have to recognize that like it, in all of it is in God's grace, right? The, the blessings that we have on this earth are, are because of God's grace, the eternal blessing of life with the Lord forever is because of God's grace also. And so the temptation I think that we face or the misunderstanding is that if we do X, Y, and Z, if we check off our, our Sunday school boxes or get our gold stars, then God is then obligated to give us a Mercedes or whatever. Yes. Um, yes. And yet God might do that. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he might, yeah, he might, but it's not out of obligation. You know, it's not because he's obligated to, um, right. it's because he is good. Just like with in the ending of Job, God gives all of these things to Job, back to Job, but it's not because Job earned them. 
right? It's because he's God is good and sovereign and we have to trust him, you know? And so, yeah, it is, there's a lot of tension there, you know? And, and it, again, it, it forces us into like a humble submission to our father, you know, to say like, you give good that you give and you take away, you know, but no matter what, like blessing, bless, blesses the name of the Lord, you know? Yes. Yes. Amen. I think that's one reason among many that um, the enemy of our souls attacks the innocent, the vulnerable, and um, attempts to, to create doubt in people's minds. Well, if God is good, you know, the whole, the, the problem of evil um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tries to attack God's character and say, well, if he's good, why would he allow this? And, and so, and, and that is, that is ripe for exploitation in a culture that has no anchor points to the biblical narrative. Um, right. So friends, I've been, been chatting and, and still have uh, some conversation yet uh, to go with Dr. Russell Meek. The book is Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. So the truth of the matter is that righteous people do suffer. And any theological system that says uh, the opposite is not rooted in the scriptures. I'll, I'll be bold enough to say it. If, uh, mm. if, if you're involved in, in Ecclesia and in, in their doctrine, it, they're teaching you that right, the righteous do not suffer. And if they do, it's because there's sin in your life. I'm going to encourage you to rethink that. And in fact, I would encourage you to perhaps pray and seek the Lord's mind and, and maybe find another place to fellowship because you're getting some, some dangerous, dangerous teaching, friends. Mm -hmm. That's right. So you write uh, in the book, Russ, that sometimes we just need someone to acknowledge our pain. Boy, that mm -hmm. was... A <laughs> That was uh, that just kind of exploded off the page because uh, in saying that, you also said here here's what we don't need and and in too many instances that's what people get. That's not really what is needed. So kind of unpack that for us. Sometimes we just need somebody to acknowledge our pain. How do you mean that? Yeah. So when I went off to college and didn't really know how to deal with uh, or in how to cope with uh, the abusive family I'd grown up in or, or my dad leaving or any of those things. I met this guy who was the uh, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry director. That's like that's like a uh, a campus ministry of the Southern Baptist Convention. And this guy like uh, it was in Arkansas. And so, of course, he like you know, would take us out fishing and, and like chew tobacco and just like kind of your, exactly what you would think of, of Arkansas, like probably what you're thinking. That's, that's the way it was. But this guy, he, when I started sharing with him and I was, and I was so skittish, you guys, I was just like really terrified to tell anyone any of the things I'd experienced or like my thoughts. I was so angry and this guy, Neil, he he told me to read Psalm 58. Okay, it's a psalm 
uh, that says like starts out with like, oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Right. He says yeah. and he says he gives this picture of evil rulers and evil mm -hmm. leaders. And he he has this long prayer of curses against those people just saying like stuff that that you would like not want your children to say all right and then the the psalm ends with this statement like surely there is a god who judges in the earth or there's a god who judges righteously in the earth um and in showing me these scriptures and there's several psalms like this where the the psalmist just lays it all out before the lord all of his anger his frustration his curses and niels gave me the freedom to say like man god hears you god is not afraid of your anger of your rage he's not afraid of the meanest things that you could say and then like so he he opened up this avenue of prayer that i didn't really know existed before i thought prayer was just supposed to be like happy and and like <laughs> praise you know yeah and then neil like over the course of several years he just acknowledged like the bad stuff right you know i would tell him like hey this is you know this is what happened with my dad and and he wouldn't he wouldn't say like i mean he eventually said you need to forgive your dad but at the beginning he didn't say that he didn't say like man you just need to put that behind you you just need to walk in faith he didn't say any of those things he said like man that's terrible i'm so sorry yeah. and like that gave I, I cannot like adequately express like the freedom that gave me yeah. that someone would simply like acknowledge the reality of evil you know and the reality of suffering yes and yeah. and scripture does that when you see jesus interacting with people he does that he also pushes us toward forgiveness you know um but he allows us to express openly and honestly like the way that we feel you know um and so i think one of the one of the really wonderful like ministries of presence that we can have is when we know people who have been hurt or who are hurting um eventually we probably do need to have a conversation about what it looks like to walk in forgiveness but initially we should have a conversation where we can just like weep with those who weep you know and put our arms around and and like jesus help lift their burden you know um we point them to the savior like absolutely like we have to point people to the gospel and to like the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that's found at the cross yeah. but we can also like along the way like share that burden with them and, and and show them that like god is a god who cares um he is surely there is a god who judges in the earth you know and he allows us to express to him like our own thoughts and feelings and so yeah i feel like i've done like the classic preacher thing and i've gone like way off from the original question but <laughs> no no actually that's very good russ no i i i think that was spot on and and uh that goes back to to uh being a wise counselor a, a wise brother or sister to another 
uh, of the faith and allowing them to because in talking about that and and because there's a little bit of uh, trepidation about revealing and you know really going to to what are dark places because we fear people won't understand that they it's like oh no I don't want to frighten them off because then the, then they won't want to talk anymore so 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 there's this dynamic going on but actually being able to speak it out loud is in in my view a a, a part of the process of cleansing that mm -hmm. will lead will lead eventually because mm -hmm. the father's all about restoration right the, mm -hmm. the, it's not the father's desire that that we be bound up in that dark place and so right. i think he providentially puts people in our lives that we are comfortable talking to and 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 they're equipped and wise enough to know the proper responses at that time in that process so mm -hmm. you know, I, I i think that's that's a wonderful example of um god putting people in our lives that just acknowledge yeah what you went through that's horrible that is mm -hmm. horrible it's amazing mm -hmm. that that you've come through it without you know <laughs> a lot of uh, emotional baggage we'll we'll put it that way mm -hmm. um you tackled the the subject of fear as well in 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 your book and friends again i'm talking with with uh let me get it on there there we go uh dr russell meek and the book is ecclesiastes in the search for meaning in an upside down world thank you jonathan for putting that up there and you can go to uh, dr meek's website it's russmeek.com russmeek.com there you go books are available there and many other books um russ and i are kindred spirits because he loves the old testament <laughs> and so <laughs> do i <laughs> i just love the old testament but you talk about fear in the book and uh, what it is what it, what a good biblical uh, definition understanding of uh, fearing god is what it isn't um mm -hmm. sometimes we get it wrong don't we <laughs> yeah we do um I, I use this example. Sorry, so, so many of my examples come from like my childhood and experiences I've had in my family and uh, with my my dad. And, you know, he he was only around for a short time, but I have this really distinct memory of my dad um, telling me uh, not to come into the kitchen one day. And of course, like I, I immediately like walk straight into the kitchen <laughs> and I'm sure like my do my kids do this now. I'll tell them not to do something and they like immediately do the thing that I tell them not to do. But yeah. on this occasion, my dad says, don't come into the kitchen. I walk into the kitchen. My feet get like all sliced up from glass. Right. I mean, there's just glass all over the place. Um, my feet are cut up. There's blood everywhere. My dad like sets me up on the counter, cleans my feet, bandages me up cleans up the glass and then and then gives me a spanking and and like in my you know little mind i'm like what like what in the world wasn't the like wasn't the glass on my feet wasn't that like punishment enough you know um but my dad was like reiterating and told me like it it may not tell you something like i didn't want you to come into the kitchen because i didn't want your feet to get cut up you know and the yeah, obviously there's there are the natural consequences of the sin, you know, of of walking in and getting my feet cut up. 
And then if we want to talk about, then there were the other consequences of like getting a spanking because of my disobedience. And that taught me, and there are like all sorts of ways that this can go terribly wrong, you know, right? There's all these, like the analogy can can go off the rails and it can be bad. You know, I don't want to get into all of those things. But in this instance, it taught me like to um, fear my dad in the sense of doing what he says to do, right? Um, because of his concern for like my well-being. Yeah. And, and And again, this is like a, like every analogy falls apart. You can push it too far. But the point that I try to make in the book is that fearing God is like a posture of humility toward the Lord and of submission to him and doing what he says he will in doing what he tells us to do because he's good and trustworthy and because he's our father. Right. And so it's not a, it's not a, a cowering cowering in fear because because of abuse right like so that's kind of the extreme side of it like if you've been abused as a child like you know that type of fear like that is not what the lord is about that is not the type of fear that he wants out of us it's like more a relationship like a of obedience and walking with him and doing what he says so um yeah fearing the lord um is all about like obeying him because of like the prior relationship that we have with him like we know he's good we know he's faithful and he's trustworthy on the other hand we also do know that there's discipline for um disobedience you know and so like that it should be kind of over here as like uh yeah if i if i don't do what the lord says like bad like that's not good like it can lead to a broken relationship or it can lead to negative consequence you know yes yes amen and that's why you describe in the book god's commandments as guardrails that's right <laughs> explain that picture for folks yeah so ecclesiastes um I, I think it's so you know it acknowledges the pain that we have it acknowledges the suffering and the upside downness of the world that the righteous don't always win the race or in the place of wickedness there's righteousness in the place of righteousness there's wickedness you know it acknowledges this brokenness in the world and then he gives um four things that god gives us as and commends enjoyment repeatedly throughout the book he says so i commend enjoyment and he says to take joy in food and work and wine and in your spouse um, and those are like all four things that were there in the Garden of Eden. That's another one of those um, references to Genesis. These are the four things that Adam and Eve experienced with each other. Um, and yet these are also like four areas that Satan really tempts us, you know, like with work. Like God gives us work for our joy, and yet we could become lazy or we could become a workaholic. And scripture is the guardrail on each side. That says like here work is a gift from god over on this side there's laziness over on this side there's being a workaholic avoid those extremes you know those are mm -hmm. sinful but this gift of god is good you know um you know food on the one side there is uh like various eating disorders or you know attempts to control through food um 
or on the other side, you know, something I struggled with is there's just like using food as a way to numb ourselves and to cope with our, our pain or to be gluttons, you know, don't, we want to avoid both of those, right? It's not, it's a gift. It's not something that we can use in the place of God, you know, the same with, the same with wine. Um, obviously we know like the horrors of alcoholism um, and that leads like many to be complete teetotalers, uh, which I like am for and support like, yes, alcohol is super dangerous. And yet in the new heavens and the new earth, like in the wedding supper of the lamb, you know, it tells us that there will be wine and the old Testament tells the people to uh, bring beer as a sacrifice. So obviously there are, um, it is a gift, you know, in, in some ways. And then um, a spouse, right? You can have this like loving, wonderful relationship with with your spouse. On one side, there's, you know, like celibacy. And obviously like the Lord calls people to celibacy, like Paul. Um, and so, but the kind of normal, um way of life that that god establishes in genesis is a man and a woman living in marriage together um and then on the other side you know there's like all sorts of sexual sins you know one like serial adultery or wanton sex outside of marriage you know there's all all sorts of ways that can be converted converted that can be perverted or corrupted um and yet it is still a gift from the lord and so Scripture gives us guardrails to keep us in the kind of the straight path where we can enjoy these gifts of God without going off to one side or the other, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Russ, we've made it through to um, to the final question that I have for you, and that's that's an accomplishment because normally <laughs> my conversations with with authors and professors such as yourself um we don't get through the whole thing so so you're to be commended um <laughs> thank you thank you you're welcome so if uh you were to distill all of this down to one or two points what would you want readers of your book to take away from this the 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 high level the highlights that they'll always remember oh man that's a great question I would say God has given us in Ecclesiastes like a wonderful gift of acknowledging the suffering and the injustice that we see all around us. And at the same time, so like that's gift one, right? This, there's a book mm -hmm. that speaks to us that, that, it, that yes. says like, yeah, things are messed up. And yet, it also gives us a pathway forward, right? If if it only acknowledged the injustice, like that would be good. I would be grateful for that. But it acknowledges the injustice and then it says, God makes a way for us to know and love him and to be in a relationship with him, which is like the ultimate, most important thing in this entire world is knowing God. He made that possible through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And so he wants to be in a relationship with us. And then on the other side, like while we're on this earth and we're traveling through the injustices, he gives us good gifts that we can enjoy. He gives us people, right? He gives us community. 
He gives us food. Uh, he gives us work. And so if God allows us, Ecclesiastes says, if God allows you these things, embrace them and take joy in them. Right. Mm -hmm. So Amen. God Amen. sees the injustice. God, in spite of that, he wants to have a relationship with you. And also he gives you good gifts, you know. Amen. Amen. Friends, you've been uh, you've been blessed, uh, received a treat by listening to to Dr. Meek describe Ecclesiastes and the search for meaning in an upside down world. You can get the book at RussMeek.com. I'm sure it's available on Amazon and other places. But uh, Russ, thank you so much for spending time with us today here on WCN TV. It has been a joy, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. That's all we have for you on this edition of Wisconsin Christian News TV. Please share this program with your friends and on your platforms. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you.